2: I would say for me, the most important thing that I do is I stay authentic to who I am and I make sure that all of my characteristics, things that are unique to me and could be looked upon as weaknesses, like it's definitely hard to go out and raise money as a 27 year old, let alone a black 27 year old, let alone in a bear market. You know i didn't really let any of those things discourage me from trying to do more and continually trying to do more there are definitely days that you feel like you want to give up and there are days that you feel like the world is just out to get you but the most important thing I realize is that the journey that I've been on is one that hasn't really quite been on yet. And so I think there's just a lot of motivation that can come from me continuing to do what it is that I do. And so I continue to do so for the people around me. And I think all the supporters I've been able to develop over the last couple of years and we as a platform have been able to develop over the last couple of years, continue to keep you going as an entrepreneur. And so it's definitely a job that's not for the faint of heart, but it's super rewarding. And, you know, honestly, like I said, never, ever let anybody else make your weakness a part of your mental. I think when at the end of the day is your mind is the most powerful tool that you have and thinking that you can achieve will more than likely give you the opportunities to do so. And so I think that's how I use my difference to make a difference.
0: How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Solo. Solo is at the forefront of an open social marketplace for creators. One that gives power to creators. We talk about the different ways creators are finding power in today's world, how they're partnering with different organizations and how to be smart about your investment. He hopes to reimagine the entertainment industry and fundamentally change the way we interact digitally. So if you're a creator or you know any creator or someone who is aspiring to be one, this is an episode that you want to reach. Now, I always say this when we have episodes that involve crypto. It is very, very, very important to do your research. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's guest is Solo Cisse. Now, Solo is a first-generation immigrant born to Senegalese and Gambian parents. Solo's entrepreneurial journey to date includes becoming an Ivy League football champion, graduating top of his class at the Wharton School of Business, join in Citigroup on Wall Street as a, I don't know, you're going to have to help me with this, securitization investment bank. Soft eye, it's a soft eye, securitization. Uh, Securitization. (laughs) I don't know, I'm struggling with it. Securitization investment bank. There you go. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) And he ended up presenting his own creator economy video podcast. Now he's at the pulse of the creator economy, spearheading over $33 in raised funds since 2021 to build Galaxy with his co-founder and NBA star Spencer Dimity. He's also at the forefront of making sure we learn how to stabilize traditional and stagnant methods of monetization for creators. Welcome to the show. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. The pleasure is mine. Audience, I want you to know something before this. Read in the intro. It was was an interesting experience of uh, adventure for me because I was just running over my words and and mispronouncing certain things. And if you are having that type of morning, there's nothing wrong with starting over and just getting it right. Okay. So that is the motivation for today. However, today we have a very, very brilliant mind. So I've seen solo on a few YouTube clips. I'm a big NBA fan. Those of you watching the video podcast will be able to see a LeBron jersey behind me. And I'm curious with your journey? I want to start from the beginning with you because you made it germane to include the fact that you're first-generation immigrant. Two West African countries, Senegal, Gambia. I'm from Nigeria. How did that play a role in how you saw success? Yeah. I mean, I'd say first
2: and foremost, obviously, thank you for having me on. I'd say my African heritage shows up in my life in numerous ways. I think the determination I had to see goals through was super important and critical. So whether it was picking up football at Older age, I didn't start playing until I was maybe about 16. So I was able to do a lot with it and things like that. And I think my parents just never let me make excuses to not give my best. And you know, that's something that's just an expectation. And I also think they did a great job of not letting me feel sorry for myself when things didn't pan out. And I think that's the definition of what entrepreneurship is, is knowing. Exactly what you're going to do when, you know, plan A doesn't work or B, C. I mean, I think at this point I'm on numbers. So like (laughs) understanding how to pivot and really make the most of, you know, the situation that's been handed to you is super critical. And I think my parents have been, you know, the perfect examples for me in my lifetime doing that.
0: You said football there. I just got to make a clarification. Are you talking about American football or American football? Correct. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm a little bit too big and too bronze to play. Yeah. <laughs> I like that mindset in the sense that uh, it sounds like you were in an environment that allowed you to see multiple paths as, uh, as successful. You know, this idea of no excuses, but still figure out what you want to do. It's not something that a lot of households have, if we're being honest. And so at what point did you decide to say football, late age, even though other people have an advantage over me, it's going to be something I want to do? Yeah, I mean, I actually had a
2: unique story. So my family moved from Kansas City or Lawrence, Kansas in particular, but the Kansas City area to St. Louis when I was about 14 to attend a much better school. My mom had just gotten a great job. And so we moved the entire family to St. Louis. And when I went to the small private school, there's only about a hundred kids per class. It was 7 or 12 and the entire school was less than 600 kids. And so to play varsity sports, they actually required students to play sports and they wanted it to, you know, justify the fact that all their students were well-rounded, but also just practical nature. We had to have everyone play to have teams. So my football team had 33 people on it. Thankfully, you know, myself was on it as a division one athlete. And I think I'm like, of the notable people, probably the least notable, because we had Ezekiel Elliott from the Dallas Cowboys, he was unbelievable, and then we had Foyer Lukin, who's you know Nigerian like yourself, but he's on the Cleveland Jaguars who led the NFL in tackles, so you know our team was pretty good we lost three state championships in a row. But I think, uh, you know, we went there three times in a row. But I think the idea was when I joined the team, no matter what it was, I was going to give it my best. And so I wasn't going to be satisfied with just being on the team because I had to or, you know, my parents were telling me that that's what the school required us to do or anything like that. I wanted to be great at whatever it is that I chose to do. And so, you know, I think it's just that inherent fighter mentality that, you know, West African people have. And I think it's something that translates, you know, in
0: all different parts of my life. I love that. I love that. Now I want to talk about this pivot. So I shared earlier, I'm a big (laughs) basketball fan. I mean, it's actually what I wanted to be before I realized that it wasn't going to happen. But I remember maybe it was right before the pandemic. I was listening to Spencer with Dimity. He was talking about crypto with his contract and I think he was at the Nets at the time before he got traded. And he was just, he kept bringing up crypto. He kept talking about it on on Twitter and people would have different reactions. Some would laugh. Some would say, what is he talking about? I mean, you know, because he he has that reputation of being an intellectual or someone that might think outside the box in that sense. And then I I remember just putting it on my radar and then I saw you on a video. (laughs) <laughs> with, with them, I don't know if you were interviewing Matt James or something because this is before I used to watch The Bachelor, Kings, Queens, but I don't watch it anymore. <laughs> and it was specifically because of Matt James season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was when I I got off the show. Without Matt, he's a cool dude. He's a good dude. No, he, he seems like a cool dude. And so I just remember thinking, I'm listening to these these people tell their stories. One is on it was on Bachelor. He's an NBA player. You know, you, you you went you went to one of the most prestigious business schools. Why? <laughs> why are you doing this? And that was my first question. So I want to give you the opportunity to ask, why do you feel like this is the next generation? This is the next path in the sea of uh, creator landscape? So what you did see was
2: our show, New Money with Spencer and Solo, that is uh, presented to you by Coindesk. Shout out Coindesk for producing great program. But essentially, we spoke to a number of different celebrities and influencers about how they're monetizing themselves via social media. And so Matt was the first guest and was probably my favorite episode of the season, or one of them for sure. But to answer your question about why creators and all that stuff, so taking it back to the Spencer contract situation, Spencer was the first NBA player to tokenize or securitize. There's that soft I again. Securitize. I'm going to say it. (laughs) There it is. So basically I helped him do that as an advisor. And so I was an investment banker where I would help big institutions securitize different types of assets. So whether that was residential mortgage-backed securities, commercial mortgage-backed securities, asset-backed securities, all the stuff that kind of led up to the financial crisis, funny enough. The market is definitely re- is regulated much more now. So we're not at those exposed to the same risk that we were back then. But we took that concept and applied it to Spencer's contract. And the idea was really that any sort of cash flowing asset could be used as collateral for finance. And so essentially, instead of getting paid over a duration of time, Spencer had the brilliant idea of like, why don't I unlock this trap of liquidity now? And so through the technology of uh, tokenization or securitization, he was able to do that. And, you know, if you are trying to finance your lifestyle, you know, we've grown accustomed to seeing entertainers, rappers, artists take out hard money loans at 40% interest to try and finance something when there are a lot more efficient markets out there like capital markets or securitization as an exit strategy for you to get to that liquidity. And so for me, I think there was just uh, an opportunity to marry kind of my personal background to the entertainment industry that was very close to me. Like I mentioned, I have a couple of friends that played in the NFL and we have a lot of different relationships with people in the entertainment industry. So I'm very tangential to that. And so we were just putting our heads together, thinking about how we could potentially make the most of this opportunity to create avenues for entertainers to make more money just because of how the infrastructure is set up. It's like the cartel. Entertainers get paid at the very end. And albeit sometimes they get paid a lot, but if you're a middle-class creator, so you're not a Spencer, you don't play on the Dallas Mavericks and get paid a bunch of money every year and you're just on TikTok and you have a couple hundred thousand fans, but you're trying to figure out how to pay your rent. These monetization channels are super important. And so we're very passionate about creating those opportunities for creators, especially since a lot of them come from the African diaspora and things like that. Black people are so creative. And so I think having that toolkit to empower the creator It's super important and
0: our way of giving back in a lot of ways. It's like the cartel. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to unhear that. That is is a beautiful way of putting that. The reason I was even asking why with the emphasis I did is because that's the interesting thing that has come up in the crypto space, blockchain, all these things. There's a lot of misinformation, a lot of misaligned ideas on what it is and what that is. And that leads to this further, you know, concept of just, wait, what are you doing? Do it a traditional way. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? doing? Then we've had crypto booms and crypto crashes. And then people ask, well, was it a fad? Is it a fad? Solo, what do you say? So, I mean, I think there's
2: a lot of ways to look at it. So we're at the very early days of crypto adoption. And I think there's a ton of mis, you know, asymmetric information out there. So like people like myself who are deep into space know just about everything that there is, you know, actually let me take back, step back and compared to the average person, we know tons, tons, tons more. There's a lot that I need to learn. And I'm not an expert in every single area of web three, but the point is. You know, there's a big gap between people who know and people who don't know. And I think that's when you get choppy markets and volatility. And so the first assets that are usually the squishiest or the ones that are going to recede the most in a market correction are the most, you know, speculative or lesser known investments. And so crypto falls in that category, but that's not all that different than tech stocks. So like if you were a holder of Snapchat or if you're a holder of Tesla or any of these stocks or Netflix, even for that matter, you know these have been quite volatile assets as well. And if you think a bit, if you take a step back and think about the broader picture of capital markets, the stock market is something that people just assume they know, right? So, like if you put on a piece of paper and handed it to a thousand people and ask them, "Do you know what the stock market is?" They would all say yes. And if you ask them, you know, "Do you invest in the stock market?" Probably a good majority and say that they have some sort of exposure to the stock market, but challenge everyone to think is do a lot of these people actually know how to value the equity of a company, right? That's a very, very investment banking type language of like, do you really know what you're buying, right? You see it, it's tangential. You see Tesla cars on the road, you have a Netflix subscription, you buy all these types of things, but do you really know the intricacies of their financial picture and why you should buy it? And the answer is largely no. And so I think from that perspective, it's almost hypocritical to be like, I don't know what blockchain is. I don't know how Bitcoin works or any of these things. Well, like no one knows how to value the stock market. It's just a popularized, normalized method. And so I think to that answer, it's, you know, if that were the case, if crypto is a fad on the fact that it's volatile, well, then would you say that Netflix and all these other things are fads? No, we would not. And so I think from that perspective perspective. That's probably what I would urge people to do. And then also just understanding the nuances about the technology will help you fall in love with it. And you'll truly understand the value proposition. But until you do those things, it's going to be opaque and it's going to be very tough just because we're so early and the avenues to being exposed to these types of things are limited.
0: Let's work through the nuance then. Let's work through all these definitions. Since you're in the space, could you define Web3 blockchain and cryptocurrency for people who might just be... You know, ignorant to this. Yeah. So let's start
2: with blockchain. So blockchain is a method for when you think about the typical financial system, if I wanted to send money from me to you, usually there's a centralized entity. A blockchain is a de- decentralized network where the transactions that go through the network are going to be put through by what these things called computers called nodes. And essentially in aggregate, these computers are going to compete in a lottery system to update the ledger, which is a publicly visible record of all the transactions that have ever happened in the technology. So Bitcoin has a ledger, Ethereum has a ledger, all DLTs or distributed ledger technologies or blockchains have their own ledgers. And essentially it's immutable, meaning that you can see that person A sent money to person B and it's never going to change and it can't be changed by any centralized party. Whereas the traditional banking system is just, you go to Bank of America and John Doe helps you out. John Doe sends your money from A to B. But the problem is in that system, it's necessary for you to trust John Doe. If you go to Nigeria, if you go to Senegal, if you go to parts of Latin America and other parts of the world, you may not have that luxury of trusting John Doe at that bank on that given day. And so I think because of that, people outside of the United States actually see the merits of blockchain and crypto a lot more than people in the U.S. who reap the benefits of a developed world. And then also when you think about it too, is a lot of the world is unbanked. And so what blockchain allows you to do is through the access of a phone, start banking and start doing things and start commerce. And so what it does is it enables a lot of people that don't even have the physical infrastructure around them to partake in financial markets, or this is the idea of financial inclusion. And so back to blockchain, the way in which this lottery system works is that these computers basically guess if in a proof of work protocol, let's use Bitcoin, they guess at a math equation very, very rapidly to win the chance to update the ledger. And when you update the ledger, you're rewarded some Bitcoin. So that's their incentive to do so. And so essentially, that randomness is how you don't know it's John, Chad, Chase, John, whatever it is at the counter updating the ledger. And so that randomness is what helps create that sense of security. And then also the network is, like I said, publicly visible. And unless you own 51% of network, you can't compromise it anyway. And so because of that, it creates a sense of fairness that could never exist in the traditional finance world. And it's never a problem until it is. And so in the developed world, it's a problem that we see a lot less frequently, but outside of the world. It's super important. So blockchain has to do with the technology and the way in which information is recorded and transactions go through a network. And crypto is the financial incentive tied to the network. So the money. I mean, what about Web3? Web3 is, has to do with like a, a lot of definitions, but a broader renaissance of like people using blockchain technology to build things that we use. And so like Galaxy is a Web3 product. You know, There's a lot of different Web3 products. NBA Shot that's a Web3 product for trade. You know, what is a collectible card kind of like thing, like NFTs, but the same thing as collectible items. And it's basically the way in which that the internet will start using or leveraging blockchain technology to do these things.
0: Gotcha. Well, I'm on your website right now. You say on Galaxy, which is your company, creators of all types can offer more direct and intimate experiences to their fans through a suite of familiar and new features that everyone will come to know and love by using cutting edge, where you just said cutting edge blockchain technology. Calyx's in-app experience will be both secure and seamless, put in the modern fan at the center of all the action. What do you mean by that? I would say Calyx is best
2: described as a Web3 equivalent of like a Cameo or like a Patreon or an OnlyFans platform. And essentially what we allow is we allow creators to create their own cryptocurrencies, which is not a new concept within itself. There are places where you can create your own cryptocurrency. So if you're LeBron James, you can create LeBron James coin. There are infrastructures to do that. But what makes Galaxy really unique is that there's an application layer that we've built that can house all the interactions that happen on the social token. So in the social token is a personalized cryptocurrency. So LeBron James now has a place where he can go use his coin to interact with his fans. So his fans purchase his coin and spend it on an experience like a video call like we're having right now or a video message like Cameo or exclusive content or NFTs or so on and so forth. The idea is really Galaxy is the one-stop shop for a creator to connect directly with the fan. And they're just using Web3 technology in order to power those interactions. But essentially, that's
0: exactly what we are. We're putting the fan at the, at the center of the creator's world. And so you're essentially giving content creators their own social tokens. I mean, I was doing research, doing research for, for your episode. You talk a lot about the pivots you made. You, you obviously have a lot of your investment banking background. I can see it play out when when you talk. I can hear it as well. But you were able to raise $26 million, right? It's public now in the bear market. These are the headlines, right? These are the headlines that are running. This is a business insider headline. What did you think about your company allowed investors to have trust in you in a bear market and a bear market for those is usually the opposite of a bull market when there's a lot of financial boom.
2: I would say for us, we had a ton of support around us and I can't say that it's an effort of my own at all. It's an effort of the entire collective team around me. So like I have the best team in the world, like my, CTO Cooper Coons at the time, he uh, was unbelievable. He came from the Hedera ecosystem, which is the blockchain that we're built on. Uh, Chad Weston, everything that you've seen, the website that you just visited to and all the graphics that we have are very high fidelity, high, nice, sexy graphics. And Chad is behind that. So like he very much so is the heart and soul of what our product is in the sense of taking the vision that Spencer and myself put together and bringing that to life. And so Chad is amazing, Rusty, Matt Veeve, he came from Madison Square Garden Ventures. So he had a ton of venture and founder experience that added years to our room that we just didn't have because I'm 27. And then in addition to that, my advisors are great. Roham from Dapper Labs. Uh, he's the CEO of Dapper Labs, which is arguably the biggest NFT company in the world. You know, he's an advisor to our project. Like I said, Zeke Elliott is one of my dear friends. He's an advisor to our project as well as a number of other people. And so I think we just had such a great platform. And what we're really trying to do is mobilize the entire creator economy and create a revolution where it allows creators to earn, you know, more equitably versus the traditional model that exists right now. And so I think because of all those things, the story was just so strong and the value proposition was there. You know, I like to think that I'm pretty good at making decks. I did it for a number of years for big companies to raise money. And so for us to put our, our own deck together, it was definitely a very rewarding experience. And I'm very thankful that we were able to close that because like you said, it's very hard to raise money right now. And so I can't help but uh, congratulate the rest of my team because they did a great job supporting us through the, the entire process.
0: Well, congratulations on that. First of all, I think that's, that's a quite the feat there. Second of all, I want to pause here. So the audience, You've heard Solo talk about this concept of marrying his passions and just just figuring out how to make those two things work for him. I want this to be a call to action for you to understand that no lived experience is wasted. I'm sure his experience on, on the American football team, being an investment banker, relationships built along the way, played a role in what Galaxy became. So each of you, even if it's not in the blockchain industry, I think it's important for you to think like that and understand how each lived experience is a teacher for you back to you on the third point that I want to make here, you're looking at the creator economy. We're looking at TikTok. We're looking at uh, Instagram, looking at any number of social media platforms, Snap, all these companies. You hear the good, you hear the bad, you hear who's making money, who's not, how it's not always compensated based on race, ethnicity, industry. Is Galaxy going to be able to change that? Because I'm wondering what, if there's a barrier to entry. (laughs) that you have right now at Galaxy, as opposed to these other ones where they can just log on with their app?
2: I think that's a good point to touch upon the web 2.5 nature of our products, right? So like when you use Galaxy, it's very different than the traditional web 3 experience, which usually starts with the wallet, right? Like you need to have a MetaMask or you need to have one of these things to join and play the game. And for us, we don't believe in that just because we know that the majority of the world isn't there yet. The majority of the world doesn't know what MetaMask is. And that's fine. We don't ever really want them to know what MetaMask is or whatever its equivalents are, depending on the ecosystem you're in, because Web2 experience is simple. You go to a website, you type in your name, you're in. And that's exactly what it's going to be like in Galaxy. And so I think for us, starting without the wallet is going to make it a lot easier to create or get rid of that barrier of entry that you're talking about. Because to your point, it's going to be very difficult to get a lot of people in here and allow them to feel comfortable if there are all these different conditions that are outside of the purview of their normal life. And so step one is getting people here. And then two, you bring up a very good point about the arbitrary nature of social media algorithms and the way in which that they're set up, how it can have spillover effects that impact, you know, black and brown creators. And so I think that's super important. What we're passionate about. That's exactly why you need to take the power out of the hands of the platform itself and give it to the creator. And so with these social tokens, you're essentially allowing creators to capture the value they create directly which is very different than how it works right now. The way in which creators make money, and I can verify this because we did a whole show on it, Yeah. <laughs> but the way they make money is that they rely on brand deals. A lot of the time they have a huge audience and their brands are enticed by this huge audience to push their products in front of them. And then they pay them a tiny minority of the money, you know, obviously that they make off these products. If they didn't, they wouldn't be doing that. And so the reason why galaxy is super important is because I want creators to be able to set the price of their own time on what it's worth and not let that be in the hands of people at, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, so on and so forth. And so because a creator can say, me and you getting on this call right now is going to cost me $100 of my time because that's how much I value my time. That's what the fan has to pay and the creator gets to take that, right? Which is very different than like a brand like Nike sending a message to 5,000 influencers being like, who wants this deal? And everyone's scrambling for it. It's obviously a race to the bottom and they're just going to pay the lowest price that gets the job. And so for us, that's the... Difference in opinion in the way in which we think creators should be dependent on their earnings streams, and this is going to be super important as more people lean into content creation as their primary means of income.
0: I certainly want that to be the case and the norms. I cannot tell you how many people and discussions I've had about the the algorithm. You know, being left to the whims of the algorithm, and you just wondering what happened to earnings in that way. It, it appears that you're really creating a um, what is it a uh, Creator Galaxy? Creator Galaxy, yeah. We want the creator to be able to do whatever they want. And we want their fans to be able to do
2: whatever they want. And we want it to be done safe, sound, and secure.
0: Yes. For the audience, if you're not aware of the inside joke, Galaxy is a portmanteau of uh Creator Galaxy. And I'm very curious about that idea. The creator economy boomed even more during the pandemic. And now I've noticed even, I have a marketing background. I've noticed how a lot of marketers, even companies and commercials, are now utilizing more creators in their commercials or even going down that path. It's probably less money for them, but at least it's a more native way for them to get into that audience. Do you think this is a trend or do you think it's going to be a fad? I
2: think this is a trend. I think it's going to be around for a while. And to be honest, the creator economy has always existed. Influencer marketing has been something since Michael Jordan signed with Nike in 1985 or whenever that was like influencer marketing has been around. It will continue to be around. And that's because we as a society value people of influence for whatever reason. It could be the case that people could come from Mars tomorrow and be like, why do you care that this person has that many followers on Instagram? Why does that make them any better? Why is, what is this concept of followers anyway? But for whatever reason, we live in this dimension. We live in this society and that's where the rules are. People care about people with influence. And so I think because of that, people are always going to use that as a means to push different ideas and raise awareness about anything. Right. And so I think because of that, these tools are going to be increasingly important as more people try to jump into this saturated market. The influencer market is quite saturated at this point. And so in order to make a living off of it, it's going to be super important in these microtransactions fans to the creator that the creator should be able to capture the value from their top 10% of their fans. And that's not every single fan. Not every single fan wants to spend money on creators our product is really meant to service the needs of the creators that are looking to monetize that top five to 10% of their community that really wants and values that intimate experience with them. And so I think because of that, and because we live in this type of world where we care about influence and we start to idolize these types of people within reason, obviously, I think these tools are going to always be necessary to make because creators will always be able to make money off of that. Impact.
0: I love it. And y- yet, yeah, you know, you're right. We've always had influences. I guess the distinction that I, I was trying to make is People today, today's celebrities might not be the traditional celebrities that people thought of before, right? It could be, they're so niche, right? You could have someone on book talk, like a book, TikTok, who's got a million followers, but just because a lot of bibliophiles, people that love books are into that, they, that's it. That person might never have been on a billboard, but that person can benefit from that. And so I think algorithms can get in the way of that because you're actually taking away connection and community, in my opinion, at least. While doing research, you are powered by something called Hashgraph, right? You call it Hashgraph? Yes, Yes. you are powered by Hashgraph. That's your algorithm. No,
2: not algorithm in the sense of the traditional Web2 sense. So it's not the Hashgraph algorithm that's going to power the stuff that you see in Galaxy app, like in a feeds ecosystem, but more so the algorithm that we're talking about earlier. We talked about Bitcoin's algorithm and the lottery system and all those things. Hashgraph uses a separate algorithm that solves a lot of the inefficiencies that come with the Bitcoin or blockchain algorithms uh, traditional. And so it's technically not even blockchain. And so it's colloquially referred as blockchain because it's a public DLT, distributed ledger technology, but Hedera, Hashgraph, uses Hashgraph technology, which is different than blockchain. And so essentially Dr. Lehman Baird, who's the inventor of Hashgraph algorithm, built Hedera as a competitor to Ethereum as a means of building Web3 applications. And so we chose to build on Hedera because of the fact that it's asynchronous, Byzantine fault tolerant. It's super fast. It has super high throughput. It's super secure and it's also governed by multiple Fortune 500 companies around the world. And so the likes of Google, Deutsche Telekom, IBM, Ubisoft, LG, all of these companies, govern hedera and so because of that nature we also got very comfortable from a regulatory standpoint that when the government looks at blockchain technology they're going to look at hedera very favorably because they know these companies the problem with blockchain in a lot of ways is that it's so ambiguous and so anonymous it's that there's so much ambiguity around it you don't know who's validating your transactions you just know it's a computer in this network of nodes but it could be me it could be you it could be whatever and me just thinking about the government and traditional how they think, they'll probably view or look upon Hashgraph with a much better sense of understanding and willingness to learn about the technology because it's so transparent and like who is doing the backend work.
0: Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Well, yeah, I'm sure there are people in the audience now who are saying, okay, okay, I feel like I, I know enough. How can I join? What can I do? What would you tell them? Where would they go?
2: Uh, Yeah, so we're in the process of revealing our V2 mobile application. And so we released an app in the App Store last year, got a very good amount of users in here, traction, just trying to learn about the user journeys and flows. Creators needed to get comfortable with this type of stuff because we have a lot of creators signed up, over 200 or so creators that are from A-list celebrities all the way to, you know, middle-class creators on TikTok and these types of things. And so we wanted to make sure that we built an experience for them that services their needs. And so that period was super helpful. And now at this point, we're pushing towards MVP part two, which will be the re-release of the application where influencers will be able to connect to their fans and monetize those experiences and really get going. And so on our website, there's a wait list where you can be invited to join potentially earlier but that's probably where I would direct most people. And in order to keep up with the project, feel free to, uh, you know, reach out to me on social or follow me on social. I'm at solo S-O-L-O-C-E-E-S-A-Y on Twitter, at say on Instagram, and I'm on LinkedIn or anything else. And so, you know, just super happy to be a part of the journey and excited to revolutionize the creator economy on Hashgraph.
0: Yeah, we'll make sure we put everything in the, in the show notes. And uh, you know, Solo is right. There's a there's an opportunity for you to request early access, and so just make sure you you uh, sign up for that. I uh, really appreciate the education. I think today's episode has really been about education and really encouraging people to expand their mindset on something that they've already accepted. Right, the concept of invested in today's world is something that many of us just accept without really investigating the thought pattern. Right, why do we accept money? as money or gold as a value of worth. And so what is the difference with this in the case for that? So I appreciate you reminding the audience of that. In terms of closing, I always ask my guests this question. So it's my final question and it's my mission statement reframed as a question, which is you use your difference to make a difference. So, Solo, how do you use your difference to make a difference?
2: I would say for me, the most important thing that I do is I stay authentic to who I am and I make sure that all my characteristics, things that are, Unique to me and could be looked upon as weaknesses. Like it's definitely hard to go out and raise money as a 27 year old, let alone a black 27 year old, let alone in a bear market. You know, I didn't really let any of those things discourage me from trying to do more and continually trying to do more. There are definitely days that you feel like you want to give up and there are days that you feel like the world is just out to get you. But the most important thing I realized is that the journey that I've been on is one that's Hasn't really quite been on yet. And so I think there's just a lot of motivation that can come from me continuing to do what it is that I do. And so I continue to do so for the people around me. And I think all the supporters I've been able to develop over the last couple of years and we as a platform have been able to develop over the last couple of years continue to keep you going as an entrepreneur and so it's definitely a job that's not for the faint of heart but it's super rewarding and you know honestly like I said never ever let anybody else make your weakness a part of your mental I think one at the end of the day is your mind is the most powerful tool that you have and thinking that you can achieve will more than likely give you the opportunities to do so and so I think that's how I use my difference to make a difference
0: Nothing but bars for solo. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing and educating. I'm excited to put this out there. I always love putting episodes out there that challenge people's thought patterns. This has certainly been one of those. So thank you so much for coming on the show solo. Of course. I appreciate you for having me. Pleasure's mine. Kings, queens, and royalty. Until next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the Ask Told by Nomad's Podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxen.com.